listening to the Red Seat Podcast. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds, he fires. Swing and a miss, Frank Lee, it's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood of Over the Monster for episode 302 of the show. If you'd like to send in a question to the show, you can do so at redseatpodcast at gmail.com. we got a couple questions today that we're going to answer later on in the show, but uh, on this podcast, it's our last podcast before the new year. Um, So on this episode, we're going to get you caught up on all of the recent news. Uh, And we're also going to be making some New Year's resolutions about the team, uh, about our own fandom, and... uh, we were supposed to record yesterday, which uh, I'm a little disappointed we didn't get to because yesterday was a very special day. It was Rick Porcello's birthday. So just uh, a shout out to uh, to Pretty Ricky there, uh, legend. Well, we uh, finished the last world. episode talking about Rick Porcello for three minutes, so why wouldn't we start episode 302 talking about Rick Porcello? You know, I think we should spend at least three minutes on every episode talking about Rick Porcello, but, you know, that's just me. Um, that lovely voice you just heard is Bob Osgood. Keaton, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Back in Maine, seeing my family. Today's my dad's birthday, which I like a lot more than uh, Rick Porcello's birthday. And I uh, got to teach my nieces how to make some macarons, so that was pretty cool. All right, Nice. Dad's birthday, macaroons, all good stuff. Let's get into the bad stuff, though. The Red Sox missed out on big free agent starter Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who signed with the Dodgers for the largest total money deal ever given to a pitcher. 12 years, $325 million. None of it deferred, unlike the Shohei Otani deal. Um, The disturbing thing here is it doesn't seem like the Red Sox were real players for Yamamoto. Um, it came down to the Dodgers, the Mets, and the Yankees here. And even worse than the Red Sox not being real players for Yamamoto, uh, Sean McAdam, who writes for Mass Live now, wrote the following uh, a few days after Yamamoto signed. He says, in the aftermath of the Yamamoto news, one industry official was speculating on how the Red Sox might pivot to find the necessary starting pitching. When I suggested free agent Jordan Montgomery as a good fallback option, the official scoffed and offered that even Montgomery would be too expensive for the Red Sox' current budget plans. So, what I want to do is talk about the implications of this profoundly disturbing uh, snippet from uh, Sean McAdam and what this could mean for the future of this team and, uh, you know, the ability to get good players. So let's go ahead and start with you, Bob. Uh, after after hearing that, what kind of things were going through your mind? Uh, I think the first thing that I kind of go back to is when I 
see throughout the season that the Red Sox have, whether it's the most expensive ticket price or the most expensive game day experience, you know, parking, beer, drinks, all of that combined, whatever it is, they're the most or the second most for both of those things. Um, and how up through 2019, they were able to support that with the top three payroll year after year. And then when the season ended in last place again for the second consecutive year, there was a ticket, a modest ticket price increase. And you'd say, what the hell is that for? How can you raise ticket prices after that? And maybe they'd have an opportunity to go out and justify it and um, make some splashes. You know, everyone's throwing the full throttle thing around, which whether it was, you know, said, I'm sure, you know, Tom Warner wishes he had that saying back. But regardless, everything is becoming a trend now over the last five years. And we podcast every week from spring training in February until like the 1st of October and then a couple times a month in between. So we do like 40 shows a year and we kind of have to react to things in real time. I don't think we're like a super hot take show or anything like that, but I think that there's been what's perceived as a decent amount of negativity as we kind of continue to, all right, that was a disappointing free agent season and then the deadline and then another free agent and the deadline. And here we are in for the third straight year, kind of talking through this negatively, but when you hear it from Sean McAdam, it's kind of a different voice and a, a voice that has covered the team for decades, and he's feeling the same thing. And it just <clears throat> felt like a bit of a breaking point over the last couple of weeks for a lot of people. And when I talk about the last five years, in 2020, they had the eighth highest payroll. In 2021, they had the sixth. In 2022, they had the fifth highest, but they randomly went over the luxury tax while they were selling at the deadline. So that was just a confusing one, even though they were fifth. Last year, they were 12th. And then heading into 24, right now, they are 13th. And I just don't think that that is acceptable. I think that you cannot charge ticket prices that they are. And, and part of me thinks they did it last year as kind of a test. And people showed up anyways, you know, from early May till Labor Day, the place was full. It was embarrassing in April and September when, you know, the kids are in school and all of that. But we saw the some of the opposing teams, the Dodgers and the Mets fans, bring a ton. And I think that in the summer, you're going to see road teams traveling and they're still going to be able to fill the place. And it just is becoming a little bit more insulting. And maybe I'm getting preemptively angry about the whole thing. Maybe they go out and make three huge splashes over the next couple of weeks. Um, but I'm not expecting that. And, you know, even just reading some of the quotes in recent months, I just think that there's such a disconnect and that people are, the fans are going to kind of start to revolt if they go into the season with the same, um, you know, looking for value under the luxury tax, uh, no major pitching splashes. And, you know, the, the, the quote that I read in the last week was from Sam Kennedy, and I went back and looked at it from October where he just said, you know, I don't even know how to define all in because every season from that perspective, we're, we're going all in. And it's like, you know what all in means. It, it, they're asking you about, you know, is this your contention window? Are you going to spend more in this offseason? Like, no, you didn't go all in last year or the year before. They haven't for the last five years. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of finding it. Um, 
I, I think it got real for me over the last week or two. I had a feeling it was heading in this direction. I feel like I identified a pattern there in everything you just outlined, which was great. But, but you mentioned uh, them the, the days of long ago when they were top three in payroll and winning baseball games. And they have drastically scaled that back. You outlined they're down to like 12th in payroll now. Um, and they're not winning baseball games. <laughs> I think I have an idea of what they should try. Go on. I think they should spend money on good baseball players. You think they'd win baseball games if they did that? It, it seems like that would help win baseball games. Yeah. yeah. It seems it like they awesome. have a, a demonstrated ability to do that before so maybe they should go back to that it really so this is maybe getting a little bit ahead of the uh the new year's resolutions but mine for uh ownership slash management is to have your actions match your words and it really feels like the last four years that hasn't been the case at all and we thought that was going to change with breslow and it turns out it doesn't feel like it's so far. So I know it is still, I guess, only the offseason is halfway over. Um, but it's not a very long offseason. And I can understand why, Bob, you're annoyed. And uh, you're right. Maybe they still do sign some people and make an interesting offseason out of this. But I can't really blame you for being annoyed because of the last four years, it seemed like, Maybe we were going to start moving away from those off seasons and how annoying they were, and it fell right back into that same pattern very quickly. So I don't blame you for like kind of skipping ahead two months and seeing that the Red Sox didn't really do anything after telling all of us that they this was going to be an off season of big moves and then nothing happened. It's quite frustrating. Yeah, and you know just to put some numbers behind what we're talking about here um, from basically uh, 2004 when they broke the curse and won the World Series they were second in baseball in payroll and from 2004 all the way to 2019 they never dropped below fifth in baseball in payroll and enter Heim Bloom in 2020 they started off the year fourth in payroll uh, after the uh, you know craziness with COVID and all that stuff. They finished that year 13th in payroll, and since then, um, they've finished 6th, 6th, sixth, and 12th um, in 2023. They were 12th in payroll. So um, the trend that we're seeing is, is certainly alarming right now. It depends on what you look at, but, um, you know, it, it seems like the Red Sox are somewhere between 11th and 14th in terms of payroll on the books for this upcoming season uh, so far. Um, you know, Cots has him at 14th. Um, Fangraphs has him at 11th. But the trend that we're seeing is is overwhelmingly negative. And if we go back to um, our 300th episode when we first started talking about pitching tiers and where we ranked guys and, um, you know, 
what we needed to get to have this team come back to contention in 2024, we ranked our tier one as Yamamoto, Nola, Montgomery, and Burns. Uh, Yamamoto and Nola are off the board. We have it on good authority that they're not interested in Montgomery because of the price. We have it on good authority that they're not interested in Burns because he's a one-year rental. So then if we go down to tier number two, Glass now, already traded. Um, Blake Snell, apparently they're not super interested in him because of the price tag. Sonny Gray, gone. Cease, huge price tag. Shane Bieber, not interested because he's only a one-year guy. So now we're all the way going down to tier three for the guys that they're actually in on. Uh, Shota Imanaga, um, he's there. Lucas Giolito, those are the two guys they've been most connected to. And other than that, the other guys we had in tier three have already signed. Eduardo Rodriguez, Tyler Mali, uh, Marcus Stroman's still there, Kenta Maeda uh, signed. So it's getting late really fast. And we've already pretty much been told that the Red Sox are not going to be in on any of the guys from tier one or tier two. Um, from our rankings. So, you know, the best case scenario right now, it seems like based on all the reporting, as long as that's been accurate, is that the Red Sox end up with two guys from tier three. And if we go on the Fangraphs rankings of uh, the top free agents, Lucas Giolito was ranked the 16th best free agent. And uh, Shota Imanaga was ranked the 12th best free agent. So the Red Sox are basically putting themselves squarely in the middle of the pitching market, not willing to dip into the top end. And it is, I'll remind everybody that it is the top end that we said they most needed. Um, they didn't need more threes and fours. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a tough situation right now. And uh, I just, I don't know how ownership can defend their stance when we've seen this trend now for four straight years, starting with Heimblum. Um, and we're seeing it again with Breslow and these guys are coming off the board. So um, it's not too early to panic. In my opinion, it's, it's time to panic. Do they know that they're going to have um, another one of those? They have that conference, right, where they they all get on stage and they got booed last year. That's winter they, weekend. Yeah, that's coming up soon. That's <laughs> going to be January, right? Yeah. Last year is going to be a friggin' field day compared to that, if nothing's happened. There's no way that John Henry's going to get on stage for that again. No. No, I don't think so I'd either. be shocked if he was up there and subjected himself to that again. I think there's a potential for some good there, though. Because we've seen in the past, with many examples, that with a little bit of public outcry, John Henry can kind of change his tune and then drop a big fat uh, offer down for like David Price. And in February. Well, yeah, I mean, time may be out, but hey, let's make a trade. But if he gets like booed right to his face again, he might not really want to go through that anymore and might actually start to get pushed in the right direction. I know. I think that's my point, though, is that that happened a year ago, and then he got booed at the Bruins game, and yeah. the place was empty in September, and it I used to feel like that. 
that they would be publicly embarrassed and go out and make a move and even overpay for somebody and instead they're uh, buying a golf league overseas or whatever it is and <laughs> yeah. working on their portfolio in that sense and um, just lacking confidence in the the overcorrection that, that I really did, I thought was going to happen a month ago. And this is where like the disconnect is between the actions and the words. If they end up with two of Imanaga, Giolito, and Paxton, and that's their big offseason, that's not full throttle. They need to stop telling us that's their intention if they really have no intention to actually do that at all. And I feel like this is where I'm the most frustrated. If they told us, hey, our plan is not to be super aggressive this year. We want to just focus on the foundational pieces, and then we'll look at uh, spending big to add to the foundational core starting next year. I feel like there wouldn't be as much outcry. I certainly would be annoyed. But they keep telling us this is going to be the offseason. We spend money. It's going to be massive. We're going all in, going full throttle, and absolutely nothing happens. And that's really damn annoying because then nothing happens, and then they tell us, oh, yeah, this team can compete for a championship, and we're staring at the roster thinking, quite obviously, no. And then they finish in last, and we're like, how did you ever think that roster was going to compete? Yeah, I mean, they're, they've uh, they've got a pretty checkered history in terms of uh, telling the truth to the fan base, and I think that was yeah. the thing that was most uh, – appealing about the Dombrowski years is he would just say what we needed and go out and get what we needed. And, um, you know, ownership went along with it until they didn't. But I think that's the thing that's most uh, upsetting about this is like, we've seen this trend for the boom years and let's, let's talk about that for a second. Bloom was very bad at his job. Um, You know, we've, we've gone over this many times. I don't want to rehash it. But Bloom was also hampered by ownership that clearly didn't want to spend. And I think that that was fine because I think that Bloom himself didn't want to spend. So I think that that was was a good match. But now we're on to another general manager in Craig Breslow, and we're seeing the same pattern of behavior. So it's clearly not just a Bloom problem here, and this has just confirmed it. Like, I stand by all my takes with Bloom, but that doesn't excuse management um from being out on these guys and it really just doesn't make sense like if if you need aces this was the year to go out and sign aces there was nola there was you know uh yamamoto there was all these guys uh who who were out there and future free agent years aren't necessarily going to be like this um and i think the thing that's most upsetting to me about the way that the Red Sox ownership is acting is it's like, why on earth did we sign Rafael Devers to this, you know, 11 year deal or whatever the heck it was um, to, to be our third baseman. He's going into his age 27 season. He's already not a good defender. The guy has a bad body as it is. Are we really expecting like, you know, that, we're going to just punt the next couple of years down the road and hope that Rafael Devers is still, you know, good as he approaches his thirties. It just doesn't make sense why you're not maximizing this specific window right now with the team. So it just seems like nothing is really matching up. Um, and also, you know, getting to the, the point about 
Fenway being a tourist attraction. And you guys were kind of talking about how how many fans from other teams were here. I couldn't believe when I was at the uh, Fenway Park for the Cardinals series this summer, there truly seemed like there were just as many Cardinals fans as there were uh, Red Sox fans at the park. I think they are, frankly, taking advantage of the fact that they feel extremely comfortable um, in the position that they're in at Fenway Park. They have a money-making machine that's going to make money no matter what the product on the field is. They know that, and frankly, I think that that um, ownership is more concerned about developing the land around Fenway Park, um, acquiring this new golf league that you guys were talking about, um, also... Uh, the, the, the Penguins that they own, they just bought that regional sports network. They're focused on the NBA team that's going to go into uh, Vegas at some point. Like, There's all these other things, and I think that the Red Sox are sort of the bedrock of that portfolio, and uh, they just frankly take it for granted that that is going to be um, money-making, golden goose for them, and they don't really need to do anything about it because – we're all morons and we're going to continue to show up at the park and watch the games and do all that stuff because we love this team. Yeah. I think that they can just coast off of the, the goodwill of the last 20 years. And I just feel like it's going to turn this year. (laughs) I feel like people put up with it through last year that, that this was supposed to be the start of the contention window and where they had a lot of salary clearing out and the opportunity to spend and pass the luxury tax because it was reset last year. And then you get to that point and nothing happens. And the owners had made at least one comment about that. You bring in a new GM. Um, and again, maybe this is preemptive and, and um, you know, a ton's going to happen in the next two weeks. I mean, Jake, to your point about building around Devers, the craziest thing to me and just like the more I think about because we're, we're talking about those five years and how they that really the last four years was a rebuild and like in 2019 they had a hangover season they had won 108 games the year before that and they tore that thing down to me for like no reason you know I mean they 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 kept Devers around long term they traded Mookie they let Bogarts walk they traded Benintendi for nothing um, you know, the, the pitching, <laughs> they, they built around sale. That's really all they kept there. So it was sale endeavors from that group. And it's just so hard for me to understand why they just were like, all right, they won 108 regular season games, cruise to a world series, kind of had a hangover season. It wasn't that bad of a year in 2019. They went 84 and 78. They still had the pieces there and they just tore the thing down for, seemingly no reason in my opinion um because they didn't like the farm system and all right you know dave dombrowski we can't totally commit to him i'm sure dave was trying to continue to play for now and they couldn't commit to that because maybe deep down they knew that it was going to start to be the uh the portfolio years instead of the red sox years well you know to play devil's advocate here um i think they didn't make a conscious decision like after 2018 2019 we're tearing this thing down i think that they literally screwed up every single one of those things 
one after the other individually. Like, I think, first of all, we saw this coming when Dave Dombrowski gave that extension to Chris Sale where he didn't have to do that. It was a year until free agency, and the guy mm-hmm. had just been hurt. There was absolutely no excuse for that. He shouldn't have given that extension. We were all critical of it at the time. So that starts the trickle-down effect of things going wrong. Now, all of a sudden, when you're paying Chris Sale that much, you don't have as much to spend on the position players. Um, you commit to Nathan Eovaldi again for another deal. Mookie, I really think that there is some truth to the fact that Mookie probably didn't want to be here long term. But even if you have to trade Mookie because he doesn't want to be here long term, um, you trade Mookie by himself and get top 10 you know, prospect studs who are going to come here and actually be pieces for the team. You don't attach David Price's deadweight contract um, to Mookie Betts and water down the return to the point where it's freaking Alex Verdugo and, you know, Jeter Downs. It's, uh, that's, that's not an acceptable return for a franchise player. We all know how much they lowballed Xander Bogarts, and then they were just left with Rafael Devers is the only guy in the room just looking around like, okay, uh, what's going to happen with me? And I feel like they felt shamed into signing him. So every single decision that they made was because they screwed up at some other point. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the, the problem here is that they've been acting like a dysfunctional organization for basically since the end of the 2018 World Series. They've been acting highly dysfunctional. Um, and and frankly, I think that they are taking advantage of the fact that, you know, we are all going to show up to the ballpark and listen to games. And I think that they are all um, taking advantage of the fact that, like, they're afraid a little bit to spend money because they've made some really idiotic choices when they have gone out and spent money. Um, so I think it's... It's twofold, and they're clearly changing what they're trying to do. And I, until we start seeing them really competing again for those top of the market guys, and not just panic signing, you know, the last of your homegrown stars in in Rafael Devers, um, you know, I'm I'm gonna just look at the the patterns that we've seen because the patterns of free agent spending tell the best story. Um, throughout all the noise it's crazy that they weren't even in i mean when we were getting all the reports of the like second round team meetings with yamamoto it is insane that the red sox were not one of the five finalists that never used to happen with this team and now they were like afraid to talk about it too like cora was like oh i can't really tell you who we got a meeting with and it's just like no one's saying anything which just makes it so much worse yep you know, like you got one quote and everybody just hangs on to that full throttle thing that happened months ago because no one's saying anything. Sam Kennedy tells us he doesn't know what all in means. Can anybody, you know, it, it, it's just, it's too quiet. It's quiet and like, a, you know, Bill Belichick when he just won six Super Bowls and has an excuse for it. it it's got that vibe to it and it just... I don't know. They they need to go out and do something to, um, you know, just end this this trend here. And and you know, even uh, w- yeah, we as Jake said, we wanted two 
frontline arms, and it looks like they're going to end up with zero. And it's at the point where, you know, I didn't want Blake Snell, but if they go out and give Blake Snell money tomorrow and they've got a frontline pitcher, I don't see how I could complain about that. <laughs> That's not a great Go out and sign a guy that I have no interest in, please. <sighs> They yeah. just want Sweet Caroline to play forever. You know, that's that's the problem is they just got so – they drank their own Kool-Aid for so long. Uh, I think that they really bought into the genius of being the ownership group that, you know, broke the curse and was the team of the, the 2000s and, uh, you know, won the most games in 2018. I think that this – this Red Sox ownership group just started to think that it was smarter than it actually was and uh, stopped stopped kind of keeping its eyes on the prize and, and Stopped wanting hard. superstars. Yeah. I, like I Keaton think, started all this with, Pedro, Manny, Ortiz, Mookie. Right, right. I mean, you look at all those teams, and I think the only team that you could maybe say didn't have as many stars is the 2013 team, but that team still had – plenty of stars like uh john lester and david ortiz and you know big ortiz big hit like 800 in the world series so that compensated for everything else <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah it's it's just it's not they're they're just trying to keep it going and like not tell everybody that the music has stopped but the music has stopped and it's okay you just need to be honest with people and be like hey listen we're gonna wait until Meyer and Anthony are up and we're going to see what we have with our young pitching and we're going to add a couple mid-rotation guys this year and we're going to view it as a reset year and hopefully we can win like 85 games and sneak into the playoffs and everybody be like okay cool you know you guys actually have a plan but what they do is they just fucking lie to us about you know what their plan is and pretend like they're still the Red Sox who are out there swinging it around and trying to be in on every free agent we know that they're not they're just it's it's a show but everybody can see what's happening and no one likes being lied to so frankly i'm getting very frustrated with this ownership group because they think we're stupid and we're not stupid we can see what's happening you know and I, I don't understand. Like, are they going to sign James Paxton, Lucas Giolito, and, and Teoscar Hernandez and be like, look, guys, we're a 95-win team. No one's going to believe that. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not sure why they're doing these things. Either of you guys play poker before? Yes. Yep. And uh, at any point while you played, did you ever tell the dealer you were all in? Yes. And then did the dealer pause the game to ask you what you meant by that? Or did they just take all your chips? They just took all my chips. Crazy. Shouldn't be an ambiguous statement. No. If they do what Jake outlined, my, my tickets are adjacent to the bullpen, I will vomit into the bullpen <laughs> in our first game <laughs> at Fenway. That's a promise. If it's Giolito, Paxson, and Hernandez... I will drink 14 draft beers and vomit into the bullpen the first game that we go to. You'll you'll need a a, a GoFundMe page to uh, to afford 14 beers at Fenway, but you know we'll we'll make it happen. We'll we'll maybe get the listeners involved. Thank you for the support. 
<laughs> Mix in some sour so it's rainbow colored. Oh, I so like it. Let's let's talk about that because there's a lot of smoke here with Giolito. Um, there's a lot of smoke here with Paxton. Um, and there's a lot of smoke with Teoscar Hernandez in particular. And Tyler Milliken had a tweet about this. He said, Teoscar has the 13th best slugging percentage at Fenway Park in baseball history, minimum 100 plate appearances at 606. And Cotillo, uh, Chris Cotillo says Red Sox remain among the most aggressive on Teoscar, who has a handful of interested teams. Angels heavily involved too, could get a four year deal if uh, bidding gets here. And then uh, Alex Spear goes on to comment on this as well. He says the pursuit of Hernandez reinforces the notion expressed by multiple major league sources that the Red Sox are actively exploring trades. Adding Hernandez would make it easier to deal young outfielder in the pursuit of controllable starting pitching or second base help. So make this make sense for me. Um, I'm not against Teoscar as a player. He's a right-handed bat. He slugs well at Fenway Park. He can play the outfield. Like, that's good. But Teoscar makes sense if you're going to actually go out and, like, add Montgomery and Giolito. Or, you know, not subtract from the team in other areas. If, if they end up signing, like, Giolito, Imanaga, and Hernandez, to me that doesn't make sense with the direction of the team. So I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, like, how do these things mesh together? Because I don't want to get it twisted. Like, I actually do like Teoscar as, as a player, and I like the idea of adding him and subtracting one of Duran or Rafaela or something like that in, in a trade to help the club elsewhere. I think that's a really solid idea. But it doesn't square with me if you're not going to fully address the pitching thing. Yeah, I think... I agree with everything you just outlined there. And I think the, I guess the additional commentary that's come with the Hernandez thing is that they sign him, then they, it frees him up to make a trade from the surplus of outfielders to address some other position, hopefully starting pitching. But it, it feels weird to have that plan and, it's a very real chance that they sign Hernandez and then are unable to make a trade. And then it kind of puts them in a weird position with the roster construction. And it also is unexciting if those are the, those are the three big splashes of the, the off season. So I, I can understand the, there are multiple moves to be made, but they're also running out of time. And, if they, it feels like if they were going to sign somebody to free up room to talk trade with other teams, this would have happened already so that they had the maximum amount of runway to negotiate the whatever deal, deal or deals they see as the second step of that plan. It feels more reactionary if it happens now and that it's not really... It wouldn't be a, a two-step piece at that point. And you'd still have the, the pick of those third-tier free agent pitchers that you're looking at, which it, it fills out the roster, but it doesn't really make you feel confident with what they're rolling out there. I, yeah, I'm I mean, like transporting... Sorry, Jay, I was just going to say, I'm transporting myself back to 
like right before 2022 when I was looking at Teoscar Hernandez and Tyler O'Neill and Bobby Dahlbeck for all my fantasy drafts because they had monster second halves and had barrel rates and hard hit percentages that were crazy, but I totally ignored that they were all big swing and miss and K guys and probably would kind of turn into pumpkins in the long run. And I guess Bobby Dahlbeck probably isn't going to be on this team, but it'd be funny if all three of them were in the Red Sox organization at once. There'd be a, a type that uh, Craig Breslow would be going after here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the idea of a four-year deal to a guy who's going to be 31 to start next season um, as the first move uh, that your team makes this offseason is just really weird. And that's what I was going to say, Keaton, is just like your point about the sequencing of all this is really important because if you get out and you sign that ace and then you sign Teoscar, you're like, okay, now I can see it because they have the frontline guy and now they just need to add like one of these, I don't know, three or four options for, you know, a, a good number three starter. But without the ace at the top, Teoscar just seems like stupid. I don't. Yeah, I, don't I, I feel like the it. third and the fourth year probably aren't going to go very well. Like, I don't know if he's aging that well. His chase rate was in the 13th percentile last year, and he strikes out. You know, that's all going in the wrong direction. So the monster year he had in 21, it was 24.9 strikeout percentage. Then it went to 28.4, and then last year was 31.1. And like I said, bottom 13th percentile in chase rate, which isn't good when you're an aging um, you know, a bat heading into their 30s. So I don't... I, I agree with what you said, Jake. I don't dislike Teoscar. But on four years, unless those first two years are going to... You know, you're taking full advantage of that in his early 30s. You know, he's still got power. It's 25 to 30 homers every year. But it seems like you want to take advantage of that in like a, again, contention window starting these next two years. <clears throat> And just to go, like, along with the strikeout thing that I'm talking about, you can't have, you got to split these guys up in the lineup. You can't have Teoscar as a 30% career K rate. Tyler O'Neill has a 30% career K rate. Story's strikeout rate in Boston's 31.4%. So you're going to have three right-handed, kind of mostly power bats that all strike out a ton. So you can fit Devers and Cassis and Duran and Yoshida, who have, you know, better K rates than that in between it, but... Um, I'm just surprised they brought in two of these. Like, I could see O'Neill or Hernandez, but both of them feels redundant a little bit, and it doesn't seem to fit, you know, un unless they go out and make some big pitching moves. Yeah, absolutely right. And, like, I, another guy who just came off the board, Mitch Garver, who I really liked as a fit here, signed a two-year deal with the Mariners, $24 million. Uh, yeah. He gives you a lot of what Teoscar can do without the crazy chase rate and with a much higher OBP, the same type of power. He's right-handed as well. I don't quite understand why they're targeting these guys. And, and to kind of throw another confusing part of the direction that this, uh, this offseason is going in, another trade scenario that's being thrown around is Kenley Jansen, or other late inning arms, and you know you have to think that that means Chris Martin, who's got a year left on his deal, um, being possibilities for uh, the trade market as well. So, 
you know, I don't quite understand it. If you're not getting the ace, Devers is 27. If you're signing Teoscar and he's going to be 31 to start this year, and then you're trading Kenley Jansen or Chris Martin, like all of these things are moving in different directions. They're not all rowing in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. They're all counter to, you know, the the goal. You would think that these would all be, you know, if, if you're going to – you know, be be in on this year. You're gonna sign an ace, sign Tay Oscar, keep Kenley, and keep Martin. Like that tells me, hey, we are focused on making the playoffs in 2024. But if you only do some of these things, it's just really weird. I would almost rather them just be honest with us at this point and be like, hey, you know what? We're gonna actually just go the draft and develop direction. And we're going to actually look to move on from a bunch of these other guys and entertain trades on Sale and Jansen and, you know, even uh, Yoshi and, you know, whoever else on this team who's on the other side of 30. Hell, even if they entertain trades with Devers, I don't care. But whatever. Just, like, be honest don't with bullshit the direction. Us. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I can I can understand that. If that's what you're going to do, just be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be okay with them kind of punting on the year because I feel like I, like if they think they're a year away, I'd rather they just try to take steps in the right direction after multiple last place finishes and try to sneak in as a wild card team. And if that's not going to work, then sell off the pieces that you said at the trade deadline and then win Teal and Meyer and Anthony already a year from now build around that. I'd probably be flipping out if <laughs> if they did that, but yeah, at least it wouldn't be bullshitting us. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, okay, if, if they go out and they sign Giolito and uh, Tay Oscar and then trade Kenley Jansen for this year, that's like yeah, I just maybe I, I just don't know where those rumors are coming team? from. You know, I, I don't like, think they're going to trade the relievers. It wouldn't make sense to. No. It certainly wouldn't make sense to. Um, but again, very little has made sense about the direction of this team uh, for a number of years. And I think we all like the few things that Breslow has come in and done so far. But really, <laughs> like until we start to see movement on the pitching side of things, which is the most important side of you know, baseball for this team. Offense has never been an issue playing at Fenway Park for this team. We just need to see the pitching improve. And, and frankly, we haven't seen that. Heimblum didn't develop any pitching over the course of his time here for the major league roster. Um, Bale was not a Bloom guy. Yes, he developed here uh, for the last couple of years, but, you know, we've talked about that. Um, they really need pitching. Breslow is a pitching guy. I'm confident he can do it. But he can't do it in two months. He needs free agents for that. The thing that surprised me most when I was looking into Teoscar was that, you know, I know how well he's played at Fenway, and that's been a big narrative, you know, if he signs here. And I was looking at his stat cast, expected home runs by Park, and he has 161 home runs in his career, and if he had played every game at Fenway, he'd have 135. I would think that Fenway would be a pretty good park for, you know, 
his swing and his right-handed power. And, like, last year, like, oh, you know, he was in Seattle, and that must have suppressed. He would have had 17 home runs in Boston, and he had 26 last year. That's not adding up to me. Yeah, that's surprising. That's really surprising. Well, gentlemen, any thoughts on this uh, uneven offseason and uh, ownership before we move on to talking about our New Year's resolutions? No, I think 44 minutes is enough thoughts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think we got it. We aired our grievances. Yeah, we did. We, uh, we had our mini festivus, I guess. Um, all right, let's get to our New Year's resolutions here. So we thought about this in a couple ways. We were going to do one for ourselves as a fan and uh, a couple for the team. Um, my first one, I'll, I'll kick us off as a fan, is to listen to as many games as I watch. Um, and, and the real reason behind this is Joe Castiglione is just awesome. I love listening to the radio broadcast. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite things about being a Red Sox fan is, you know, having Castiglione on the radio. Um, he just won that big Frick Award um, given out by the Baseball Hall of Fame, so that was a big honor for him as well. But um, baseball to me is just as good listening as it is watching on TV, and sometimes it can even be better uh, depending on who's behind the mic. And with Castiglione, I just feel like, I'm going to try and soak it in as much as I can because he's not going to be around forever. And, uh, you know, I, one of these days I'm going to miss hearing him talk about the Shaws and Star Market Red Sox radio network and all that good stuff <laughs> that just sticks in my brain forever. He sells those uh, Shaws, you know, corn and produce deals like nobody's business. Seriously. Makes me just really want to go to the produce aisles at Shaws when he's done. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't the only one because Jake, when you said that, I was like, uh, I'm gonna make a joke about Shaw's and Star Market, and I'm glad that uh, you beat me to it, and I'm not the only one that immediately thought of that. So it's just okay. comforting hearing him call a game, comforting and calming. We need we need some of that right now, big time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, th I think of um, all the years with Gil Santos with the Patriots, and uh, that was one of those. You know, when he passed away, and they played montages for years of all of his big calls and you know i agree with you. you gotta gotta enjoy you know these guys while they're there and uh still in their prime i i actually have a a short story about that um gil santos and gino capaletti were the best like i i loved those guys so much just like you're saying and uh, i had an opportunity to go and meet those guys at a book signing it was actually held at a barber shop, uh, a barber shop on the South Shore, and I can't remember which one it was. But I went in, I bought the book, they signed it. I got to chat with both of those guys. They were so nice in person, um, and it was just wonderful. It was a great book to read as well. So, yeah, these guys. I mean, once once these guys are gone, it's there's no guarantee you're ever going to get another one who's even close. So, yeah. No, you don't oh, want us guys. calling the games. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not. Now we have Zoe. I like Zoe. Zoe Zoe's all right, but he's not Gil Santos. He brings the heat. 
All right. Uh, who else? Who else has a resolution for themselves as a fan? I can go. Um, I, my goal as a fan is to kind of better pay attention and understand pitch sequencing when I'm watching, you know, pitchers and specifically with the Red Sox. And over the last year was uh, Jacob Roy on the Over the Monster site. He writes this Anatomy of an Inning article, and I find all of them fascinating where it's just kind of understanding, you know, what pitches are used in which counts. It's usually identifying, you know, someone that's in a jam and how they got out of it and looking at previous at-bats and what pitches were thrown and what counts and changing the eye level and all of that and you know I understand what kind of the repertoire of each of the pitchers are but understanding sequencing a little better is just as a fan I think I can improve on so that's mine I like that one getting into it some fun stuff mine uh for myself is to watch as many games as possible uh which may sound like a really dumb resolution for someone with a podcast about the Red Sox. Uh, <laughs> but as you two know, um, our listeners don't, but uh, next summer I'm moving to London, which is going to make things a little bit more difficult uh, in that the Red Sox games are all going to be in the middle of the night. So that's going to be tough. Um, probably not going to catch a whole lot live, have to be uh, catched up on the replays and kind of watching them when I can. It might be like a day behind uh, every game trying to, to watch it in full. Not sure if that's even going to be possible, but I'll, have to, I'll figure it out when I get there. Um, but also just because I think it'd be fun if I uh, uh, the London series is June 6th to the 8th. Uh, if I'm in London by then, I want to attend. I think that would be kind of fun to see uh, the spectacle that MLB is putting on over there and see how that... That's great. I didn't know we were making compare. announcements today, Keaton. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I figured if I just had my resolution be watch games without explaining why, that'd be kind of weird. Yeah, that would be like I haven't watched a game in five years. Yeah. Yeah. That would be tough. Um, All right, let's get to the the team ones. Um, My first one for the team is to commit to a second baseman. Um, Don't platoon. I want them to go out and add a second baseman. I think it's critically important for – the infield to be really comfortable with each other. The first, second baseman, shortstop, you know, third baseman, everybody to have that repertoire of kind of like, you know, being comfortable uh, in, in knowing what everybody's capabilities are. Um, I just want them to not mess with that. So I would like to see them either trade for a guy, sign somebody, or commit to one of their young players, whether that's going to be you know, giving the job full-time to Pablo Reyes, you know, I don't think that's the best idea, but if, uh, if, if that's what they decide to do, I want them to just do it and not screw around with the position. So, um, yeah, pretty, pretty straightforward there. What do you got for, uh, for, for one of these, Bob? My first one for the team is to sign players specifically pitchers but players that you know are going to be on the field I am tired of the high upside low floor players um, you know the just wild discrepancies and what the outcomes can be and also and the reason I say specifically with pitching you know a year ago you had Brian Bayo at 157 for innings you had Nick Pavetta at 142 Cutter Crawford at 129, and then you're down around 100 after that. And 
The year before that, it was Nick Pavetta at 179 innings. And then you went all the way down to Michael Walker and Rich Hill at about 120. And then only one other guy on the entire team had more than 80 innings, and it was Nate Ivaldi. That would be great to just go out and have a, a staff of five pitchers that are going to take the ball like 80% of the time and you know tune in and, and know who you're going to see and not have to watch an opener. Um, and that goes for some of the positions too. Your, your second baseman with the most at-bats last year was Christian Arroyo with 195. That's crazy. And, yeah. Enrique Hernandez <laughs> had the most at shortstop at 297. And center field was Jaron Duran at 332. And two years ago, it was a revolving door at first base, the whole Frenchie Cordero fiasco. You know, right field, they traded their catcher, they never had a closer. There's just been so much uncertainty, and I just want, you know, even if it's a Whit Merrifield or, man, Jordan Montgomery makes sense, in, in, in you know, in that way. Um, people that are going to take the ball and be out there. And, and I think having that consistency is so important with success. So you were really excited to see that they were in on James Paxton again. <laughs> and I think that like Paxton, as you, if you sign an ace and bring back Paxton, when you were going through that list of like tier four, I didn't hate Paxton because he pitched like a borderline ace for, I don't know, six to eight weeks there. And pitched in three years. I, I'm not totally against the James Paxton uh, return. You just got to tell me what is going to be around that. It can't be, you know, their second best signing. But if that's if they sign an ace in James Paxton, I'm not going to be irate. So are you sure you'd be happy with Snell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're poking Paxton a lot of holes. Yeah, no, you, you're poking holes in my argument, and you're right. My point earlier with Snell was just like, listen, if we're talking about Giolito and Paxton, and, I mean, you're talking about three fours and fives, you know? So at that point, if you said to me, you know, they didn't work out with Montgomery, they he chose another team that, you know, that wants I don't know. They, they, they made a fair offer. He chose another team, and they went out and threw the money at Blake Snell. It's like, I'd just be like, okay, great. At least it's not Giolito and Paxton. That was my only point there. All right, what do you got, Keaton? I got my uh, resolution for the players, or a player. Somebody, please, someone on the field, be a Gold Glove finalist and just play fundamental defense for a nice full season. Who is your prediction that that will be? Because I think that someone will well, this Trevor, upcoming year. Trevor Story, if healthy. But You think he'll stay healthy? I hope so. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't. I mean, you know, I think the, the last two the, years? Yeah. But his, his arm's fixed. Well, I hope so. Right. Well, what Indeed. was his... Didn't he have an, another, like, a leg injury or something? Yeah, it was a heel the year before. Uh, he got hit on the wrist with a pitch. So that's a fluke thing. Um, yeah. I think there was, like, food poisoning and there was a lot of and I get your point is that there's not like a consistent nagging injury you know Dustin Pedroia's knee or something but I mean he's what's he missed 65 70 percent of the games the last two years yeah you could say it, it has not been a great signing you could say that yeah I mean Trevor Story in only 37 games 
had eight defensive runs saved, and no one else was even close. Yeah. So if it's, if it's not going to be him, I don't know who it would be. But uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that he stays healthy so that he um, can be that guy. I'll give you my dark horse, uh, Gold Glover, if if not Story, who I think is the obvious one. But um, Tyler O'Neill, I think he could, mm, it, yeah. whether whether he, he plays right or uh, some center, you know, I don't know where he ends up. I think it's likely it's right field, but that's just my my guess. Uh, I, I could see him being a gold glover out there. Yeah. All right, my final resolution, also for the team. Uh, if the team is in contention for a playoff spot around the trade deadline, be aggressive. The team deserves it. The fans deserve it. Um, we didn't get it for many years um and and frankly we need some excitement and to to get hyped up about baseball around here baseball's a big deal in boston and um nothing feels better than when boston is a baseball town and they have a good baseball team to rally around and support um it just feels different so i want that feeling again um i want to turn on the radio and hear people talking about baseball in a way that's positive. Um, we just need it. I like that. Mine also started with be aggressive. So I think we're on the same page, but this was with the prospects and with Kyle Teal, Marcelo Meyer, Roman Anthony. I just want, I want to see two of those guys on the team this year. And I want to see one of them playing a significant role on the team in the second half of the season I think that baseball in general has trended towards that being more aggressive they started that process last year uh, bringing those players up to double a I think they'll all be at triple a start of the season or shortly after um, and I you know I just think it's kind of time to to surround the Cassis and Devers and Duran and Yoshida group with one or two of these by the opening day of next year specifically, but you know, I, I want to see one of them involved this year. That's a great one. Do you have any feeling about which of the three will be uh, the most involved this season? I actually think it, that Kyle Teal has the best chance. Um, I could just see a scenario where Reese McGuire's hitting 180 and has a relapse at the dollar store and um, <laughs> that, you know, they look at, at Teal's pop time at AAA and that he's got a good OBP and that he, um, you know, platoon, easy platoon left, right with, with Wong and Teal. I, I, I could see that scenario because he's handled every challenge so far. Um, and I just kind of think of when we talked to Chris Clegg, just how, how much he was glowing with the reports of what he looked like defensively and how he already looked like a major league catcher. Yeah, I think that's a good one. All right, Keaton, you already gave us your, your third one a while ago. Have uh, the actions match your words for the management. But, um, yeah, I think that's that's a very good one, one to uh, 
to live off of. All right, let's get to our listener questions now. Our first one comes from Joey in the Netherlands, which is pretty cool that we have a listener in the Netherlands. He says, uh, thanks, or he congratulates us for reaching 300 podcasts, so that's awesome. He talks about his experience uh, in 2017 going on East Coast road trip, seeing Red Sox-Yankees game. Um, talks about being in the London series as well, seeing that. Um and he also talks about the frustrations of, you know, dealing Mookie, not extending X. Um, but he his main point of the question is, with a mindset of Boston not spending too much, how would you rate this starting rotation? And what do you think of uh, their chances of making the postseason would be with one free agent addition and one trade? So he has the rotation is as follows. Montgomery as the ace, Bayo the number two, George Kirby number three, Chris Sale number four, and one of Pavetta, Whitlock, or Crawford as the five. Um, he also says maybe best case add one more back of the rotation starter like Paxton uh, and then says happy new year, happy holidays from Joey. So thank you for the question, Joey. It's a very good one and uh, appreciate the story as well. But um, yeah, I mean... I I would be absolutely over the moon if they signed Montgomery and traded for George Kirby. Um, he talks about what it might take to get Kirby, and he mentions Duran or Story or Hauk. Um, it would probably re require quite a bit more. I think if you're trading for George Kirby, you're sending one of your top two prospects out, but I think that that would easily be a rotation that would get you back to the postseason in probably mid-90s. Uh, win totals. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah yes, I think to, so too. To, go ahead, Keith. Um, I think you kind of hit it on the head. Or like Montgomery at the top, and then um, Bayo and Kirby is really kind of like the future aces of that staff. That'd be incredible. I, I know we we talked about this a little bit last time, and it doesn't seem like trading Kirby makes any sort of sense for the Mariners. I just don't understand it. But his name has obviously been tossed around a ton, and they seem like they're open to doing it. And I feel like if a team is going to make a, a kind of a, a decision that dumb, you got to bounce on it. And I would love to see that happen because Kirby is a tremendous young pitcher that any team would kill themselves to have, and the Mariners have him. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. We'll probably move him. I just don't understand that. Yeah, I just don't think they're really moving him. Because, yes, he asked, he asked us to grade this. This would be an A rotation. Um, you talk about frontline pitchers that are innings eaters. Kirby threw 191 innings last year. In like, you know, well, he had walking less and than went one per nine. Right to one, yeah. yeah 0.9 walks is insane. He's, the, you know, no better strike thrower in the league I mean, what more can you ask for? I just don't see that happening. And I think, why would they do it? Because they have a ton of young pitching, and they have four other guys that are, and everybody is controllable. So if they could get something back, maybe at another position that they felt would work more long-term. But, I mean, that's that's the guy you don't deal. Right. You know, I would deal Logan Gilbert before I dealt Kirby, or Brian Wu before I dealt Kirby. I would absolutely give up one of the top two prospects 
for Kirby. He no. still has without hesitation four yeah. years of team control and is one of the best pitchers in baseball, and he's twenty five. <laughs> Yeah, I would even give up uh, Roman Anthony to get George Kirby, uh, yeah. which makes me think that there's zero chance this is happening uh, in yeah. real life. Which but, I, I don't understand it from a Mariners perspective, but it seems like they want to make a dumb decision. So I suppose we should let them. Well, the only thing that I've seen that makes any sense at all uh, about them trading one of their young guys is that Snell really wants to sign there, apparently. So I guess sign Snell and trade one of these guys to address another area. But even so, I think it would be a bad baseball move for the Mariners. Yeah. Uh, our next question comes from Patio D, and uh, he says, Hello, Red Cedars. And he talks a lot about the things that we have already been talking about. He talks about FSG investing in uh, golf with the Public Investment Fund, which is the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia. Uh, mentions their spotty human rights record, which is very true. Um, mentions also that, you know, ever since the Mookie trade, it seems like the Red Sox have been an afterthought to this group, um, not signing, you know, big, big name free agents, buying the Penguins, talking about this expansion team in Vegas, the Golf League. Uh, he says, am I being a whiny and entitled fan, or is there something to this? Um, I think... I absolutely don't think you're being a whiny and entitled fan. I feel this deeply. I do not think that John Henry really gives a shit about the Red Sox anymore. Um, I think he views it as a money-making operation to you know, go after uh, other stuff. He seems way more focused on other sports um, than he is focused on this club. Um, I don't know. He seems like hell-bent on owning a chunk of every major sports league in the world at this point i mean next he's probably gonna buy a cricket team i don't know he's mm -hmm. he's got fenway roush racing and all this other stuff i mean how do you guys feel about this i'm i'm 100 percent with patio d on this i'm not 100 percent with it i mean i annoyed that it seems like he's fully ignoring the team um but the Red Sox aren't the only thing that they own that makes money. Like Liverpool is one of the best soccer teams in the world. Uh, the Penguins are pretty trash right now, but that's not losing money for them. So it's, it's not just the Red Sox money that's kind of funding these other pieces. There's you know their whole wealth together. But as you said, Jake, it seems like he's like actively ignoring the Red Sox, which is extremely frustrating as a fan of the team. Yeah, absolutely yeah, I feel sucks. Like when FSG happened, I was just in denial. I was just like, oh, no, they'll still invest. They've always invested. What do you mean? Nope. And our last question comes from Dalton Bell. He says, who will be the all-star next year? So pick one guy on this team who will be the all-star for the Red Sox next year. Uh, it, it seems like that is what he's focusing in on, is if we only have one, who will it be? Keaton, who do you think? Raphael Devers. What do you think, Bob? The key to this question is it is singular. He's convinced that there will be one all-star next year, which is telling. I will go with Tristan Cassis. Cornrows and all. All right. I'm going to go with Chris Martin. 
Oh. That, see, I was going to say the right answer is Kenley Jansen, but uh, I think you might be right with Chris Martin. That's, it was definitely going to be like a reliever that was going to be the one that sneaks in there. <laughs> yeah, because he's going to have like a 0.12 ERA again, and no one's going to talk about him. It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be really bad if he was the one all-star for this team, so hopefully we are extremely wrong about that, Dalton. Um, thank you guys all for joining us for this episode. We do appreciate you listening. If you could, please rate, review, uh, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, follow us on Twitter. You can follow Bob at Bob Osgood15. You can follow Keaton at The Spoken Keats. And you can follow me at, at Dev Jake. And we'll be with you 